1: you'll see an absence of serious doctrine on the necessity and the normalcy of suffering. There's no suffering involved in their gospel. It's all prosperity. It's all God giving me something. And and also, the second thing is a clear and prominent doctrine of self-denial. There's no self-denial. It's all about getting what I want. Again, it's all focused on self. In the absence of serious exposition of the Scripture, Joel Osteen is really good at this. Eventually, in his message, it always comes around to giving to him, to the ministry, to how God's going to prosper you if you just give.
0: Welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. There are some who live in poverty and disease simply because they do not seek God's best, follow God's principles, and walk in faith. As well, there are some others who say they should use God's general promises of blessings as a way to indulge a carnal desire for ease, comfort, and luxury. In John's letter, the word for prosper literally means to have a good journey. It metaphorically means to succeed or prosper. It's like saying, I hope things go well for you, which is not always the way it is used. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues in John's third epistle
1: has been unfortunately turned into some aberrant doctrine that some in the church have held to and this idea this doctrine that is very prevalent today is called the prosperity gospel it's also known as prosperity theology or the word of faith movement it's also called the seed faith movement the health and wealth movement they all mean the same thing and i like the phrase the name it and the claim it and the blab it and grab it group <laughs> This verse that we're reading just now, this verse 2, has been used by proponents of these movements as justification for their heresy and is used as a tool to support their covetousness, which the Bible says is what? Idolatry. Idolatry. And this is the kind of thing that promotes greed and it exposes covetousness in the hearts of those who teach it. One definition of prosperity theology, it says it views the Bible as a contract between God and humans. If, if humans have faith in God, then God will deliver security and prosperity. Does that sound true? No. Now, is he good to us? And when we pray, does he deliver? He does. And sometimes he does it when we haven't prayed Sometimes he, he does these things when we, when we can't possibly deserve it, because we really can't deserve, we don't deserve really anything. But God, in his love and grace, he does things even when we don't deserve it, and when we couldn't have been in a place of, of some kind of entitlement. There's a gentleman who outlined five errors of this prosperity gospel, and the first one was that the, the Abrahamic covenant is a means to material entitlement. You remember in Genesis chapter 15 that God spoke to Abraham about his posterity, that it would be great in number. And he says, Look at the stars of the heavens, look at them for their multitude. So will your seed be, Abraham. And so God made him that promise. He made him that promise. And in Genesis 15, verse 70, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. This is a very specific promise from God to Abraham and his descendants. That doesn't mean that this promise goes to every human being. It was a very specific promise. We have to be careful of that in the Bible as we read it to understand the context and who the promise is to. Now, can God do those things in each one of our lives? He can. But the promise, the Abrahamic covenant, was specific to Abraham. It was specific to him and Abraham's seed. And, and, and the Lord goes on in Genesis 15, beginning in verse 18, and he tells them even the boundaries of the land that he would give to them. It says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, notice, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So there's the outline of the land that God was going to give them, the promise that he was giving. But that doesn't mean that we can appropriate that for ourselves and assume that God's going to give us property by the lake. He's going to give us property in Palm Beach, right there on the canal with the yacht. These promises were given to him. And if the health and wealth movement was true, what about the promises that God made to them? And then look what happened to the Jewish race. Were they faithful? No, they weren't faithful. Nobody's faithful. But yet they went through the Holocaust. They went into captivity Anti-Semitism is still hot today. So have they somehow dropped off the face of the earth because of their unfaithfulness? Is it because of their unfaithfulness? I don't think it is. I think it is possible God does chasten those whom he loves. But he still has a promise. And his promises, and at least this promise, is not based upon their performance. This is what they call an unconditional promise. Unconditional and there are those who also believe that Jesus' atonement extends to the sin of material poverty, that somehow being poverty or being poor is a sin. Can you believe that? They actually believe that if you're, if you're really a believer in Christ, you should be prosperous. You should be doing well. Or that in order to gain material compensation from God, you've got to give. In other words, it's a quid pro quo with God. If you give to God, he's going to give to you. And God often blesses us when we least deserve it. Again, we don't really deserve it. It's by grace. It always has been by grace and not by works. Isn't that what it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? I'd encourage you to memorize this verse because it's one of the best verses in the Bible. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because we would if we could. And therein lies a problem with man. Man. We do something and we expect God to reciprocate. Well, I've done this, God, and so you have to do this for me. It is not a quid pro quo with God. You scratch my back, my God, and I'll scratch yours. If you give to me the house and the wife that I want and that fancy car, then I'll, I'll consider serving you, but not until I see the check in the bank. I want to see the gold first, then I'll do they also believe in faith, that faith is a self-generated spiritual force that leads to prosperity, that somehow faith and faith can get the job done. How silly is that? They've made faith their object. And if you, faith, if you have faith enough, you can generate this spiritual force to somehow make this happen. And prayer, too, is a tool to force God to give you what you want. What a silly thing. I'm so glad that I've, when I've prayed to God and I've prayed in error that he hasn't given me what I wanted or asked for. Because again, we've been through this before. We know that God knows what's best for us. And sometimes I can pray for something and it's going to be death to me. It's going to lead me down a path. It's going to separate me from him. And he says, I love you too much to let you have that. You've prayed in earnest. You've even fasted for 30 days. And yet God is not His arm is not going to be twisted. He's not going to be somehow holden to us. This is not the gospel. This is a false gospel. And it's unfortunate that they've used this specific verse as one of their major tenets for this doctrine. And it really bugs me to think that we can take a verse out of the Bible like this and we can build a whole foundation. Multi-million and billion-dollar industries are based around this and a handful of other verses, which I'm not going to read to you now for the sake of time, but this is one of the big ones. What should have been just a, a, a passing, I'd hope that you're doing well and prospering, that you're doing well, you're healthy. Praise the Lord, thank you. And then to build something around this thing and make it something that it's not and they this movement the the tenets of this movement they they say that you can obtain these blessings by first donating to their ministries oh that's the first one donating to their ministries oh that's great you donate to me you give to me and god will bless you you give a seed faith of a hundred dollars and i'll send you back this hanky that i used in the mail you send a thousand dollars and we'll send you this little trinket from Israel it's got holy water in it you do it by donating to their ministries these blessings this nonsense can be obtained by visualization or positive confession if you just claim it and believe it man i believe it i'm going to get that yacht in palm beach I'm claiming it now a really big one too the glass enclosure in the front, where I can go out there at night when it's cold, humidity and temperature controlled, can watch the dolphins playing, positive confession, what nonsense. There are prominent leaders in this movement, and I'm not ashamed to mention their names because some of you may be listening to some of them, and I would encourage you to restrain from listening to these people. One is E.W. Kennan, there's Oral Roberts, there's A.A. A. Allen, Robert Tilton, T.L. Osborne, Joel Olstein. Creflo Dollar. Really? Is that his name? Creflo Dollar. That's like Rob Platinum. <laughs> get the light on him. I sh- make it sure it shines just right. Really? Cref- is that his real name? I really want to know. I'd really be interested. Or is it just a stage name? What? Anyway. Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland, Reverend Ike, Kenneth Hagan, Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, Paula White, Jimmy and Tammy Faye Baker, Pat Robertson, and others. How can we identify a prosperity gospel preacher? One pastor gave a couple of things, and let me just read them really quickly. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that in a letter like this, we have to stop and pause on this, but I think it's important because part of what a pastor does is not only to feed, but to inform and to warn. And we don't do a lot of that here as far as warning, but this is one of their verses that they hold to, and so it's important that we expose it and show it for what it is. To detect the prosperity gospel, you'll see an absence of serious doctrine on the necessity and the normalcy of suffering. There's no suffering involved in their gospel, it's all prosperity. It's all God giving me something. And, and also, the second thing is a clear and prominent doctrine of self-denial. There's no self-denial. It's all about getting what I want. Again, it's all focused on self. In the absence of serious exposition of the Scripture, Joel Osteen is really good at this. Eventually, in his message, it always comes around to giving to him, to the ministry, to the, how God's going to prosper you if you just give. It always comes around. He's a one-trick pony. And most of them are. It always comes around to that. They could start off with John three sixteen, and ultimately they'll end with altar or not altar calls, but passing the hat. Let's do that again. Let's pass the. Let's pass it around. Ushers, could you come forward and let's pass it through again? There's somebody here who's just not given enough, and God wants to bless them. He really wants to bless them, and they can't really be blessed unless they give that hundred dollar bill. that's in their pocket. Shake them. Grab by his ankle. Shake them. And they don't deal with tensions in Scripture. And the church leaders often have exorbitant lifestyles, huge cars, many properties. Well, if the prosperity gospel is true, then we need to call in question the faith of many in the Bible, including Jesus, the apostles, and others in the New Testament. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 8? I'm just going to read some things to you, and we'll get into a few things here. I'll have you turn in a few moments. But Jesus said to a certain, a certain scribe, came to him and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And what did Jesus say to him? Who was You know, Jesus, obviously, into this prosperity doctrine. He says, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. Does that sound like a prosperity gospel to you? Was he living the example? No, the prosperity gospel people have a problem. Jesus said in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19, Lay lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust do corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust doesn't corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You cannot serve two masters, he would say later on. You will either hate the one or the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And Jesus, speaking to the rich young ruler, remember, the young man comes up to him and says, teacher, what may I do to have eternal life? And Jesus told him, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He says, well, I've done all these since my youth. And Jesus said, Will you? why don't you do this one thing, give everything that you have, sell it and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And he hit right on the nerve of the thing that the man was holding on to, come and follow me. And Jesus said later in that chapter, that section of scripture, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that the rich can't go to heaven. But there are many who are rich who have a problem with wealth. But I know a lot of wealthy people in my lifetime. I've known a lot of wealthy people who don't have a problem. They're no different than anybody else. And they act as such. And and oftentimes they're very generous, but they know when to stop giving because people like to take advantage of them. But they're good people. And some of them are Christians. And they're very kind. They're very generous. Time doesn't really permit us to go through all these, so let me have you write down a, a couple of verses. And I'll summarize them quickly. In Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, it's the parable of the rich fool. He had so many so many goods that he he says um, that he had to, his his place wasn't big enough and he said I know what I'll do I'll I'll tear down my barns and build up bigger ones and therefore I'll set, store all my crops and all my goods and I'll say to my soul soul you have good many goods laid up for many years take your ease eat drink and be merry and God said to him fool this night your soul will be required of you because he laid up treasure for himself and was not rich toward God God is not opposed to wealth. He's not opposed to those who are rich. But he's opposed to those who all they want to do is fleece the people of God. And oftentimes this, this movement, these people, these, this prosperity theology, they often prey on the, on the poor and the minorities because a lot of times they are the, sometimes the poorest. And they prey on them because they want a better life. They want to have things like everybody else. They want to have a, a, a clean house. They want to have a warm house. And so it's naturally easy to pray on them. And boy, do they take to it too. Because somebody comes and says, boy, if, if you really had the faith, and we can give it to you. We can give it to you. Come up and we'll just place our hand on you. And this week, you're going to get money. God's going to bless you with something. But first, you've got to give to God to show how serious you are. Can you believe that Nonsense. God can do all those things. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said that some suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And Paul would say to Timothy, and this is 1 Timothy 6 uh, verses 3 through 11, he says, From such, withdraw yourself. He says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what's great gain. Godliness with contentment. That means that the things that I've been given by the Lord, I can be content with those things and still, instead of always lusting after the, the thing that I don't have. And to, to me, that's one of the secrets of life is learning to be content with what you have. It doesn't mean that you can't desire things, but when that desire turns into something that drives you, it becomes an idol. It becomes something that's aberrant. It becomes something abnormal to you. And you all know what I'm talking about. There's nothing wrong with wanting new things. To desire something... There's nothing wrong with that. But when it takes your life over and you're willing to sacrifice and do anything to obtain it, now you've got a whole different problem. And that is what the Bible is against. It's not against you having wealth. Make sure you are right with God in it and how you obtained it. And be willing. If he says, I want you to do this with it, that you're faithful to do it with it. And he may not call you to do anything. Or very little. Maybe a little. Maybe a lot. It's up to him. Because he knows our hearts. He knows what's inside. I don't even know what's inside of me, but sometimes he'll challenge me, and I'm like, I didn't even know I had a problem with that. He goes, yeah. Yeah, you thought you were all that, but you're really not, Rob. I love you. But there's this little thing that you probably haven't even considered. You haven't thought about it in a long time, but I need to address it. And why does he do that? To make me upset? No, he does it because he loves me, because he loves you. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. This is called the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith. Look with me at verse 11. We're just going to cherry pick a few things out of this chapter. This is called the Hall of Faith. Remember that. The faith, the prosperity people say that if you have enough faith, these things will happen. A child of God should never be hungry, should never be destitute, should always have their problems. No problems, actually. Everything should be just fine. And if you do have problems, it's a lapse of faith on your part. But look what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 11. It says, through faith, Sarah herself received strength to receive seed. She was 90 years old when she had Isaac. Up until that time, she'd been branded It was a curse back at that time to be a woman and to not have children. And she went through all the castigation, all the frowns. Maybe it's because she didn't have enough faith. That's what the prosperity people would say. But look at her. In Hebrews chapter 16, it says, but these people mentioned uh, uh, in verse 16, prior to verse 16, it says, Now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly, where God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. And the health and wealth group... They are more focused on the earthly and the temporary and they make null and void the truth faithful like we see written here in Hebrews chapter 11. It says in verse 24 of the same chapter, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather what? To live in a yacht by the Nile? No, to suffer affliction with the people of God. I guess he must not have had enough faith. And going on in verse 32, And what more shall I say, the author says, from the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, who through faith subdued kingdoms, David and Samuel, who wrought righteousness. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, and some were brought under the sword, or sawn asunder, as it says in verse seven or 37. They were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain. All these, having obtained a good report through God, or through faith, received. they didn't receive the promises. And even Jesus, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and now is set down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. <laughs> and you've not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And so even Jesus, the prosperity people would say, just didn't have it. He didn't have, he didn't have that thing, man. Just wasn't working. Wasn't working for you. Sorry. Paul listed his troubles in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, Of the Jews, five times I received forty stripes. I was beaten with rods. I was shipwrecked. I was in the deep for a day and a night. I've been in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. And he goes on and on, hungers and thirsts and being in fastings often in cold and nakedness. He goes, But all these things I will glory in the things which concern my infirmities. And yet the faith and the... The health and the wealth group would say he just doesn't have enough faith. He just doesn't have enough faith. He just can't cut it. You can't be in our church. You can't be in our church. Second Corinthians chapter 6, Giving no offense of anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience. Notice, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, imprisonments, in tumults, labors, watch, watchings, fastings. He goes on. These health and wealth pastors, teachers, and televangelists will owe many in the Bible an apology if they even go to heaven. They're going to owe an apology because God often used the destitute. He made no promises to anyone as far as their material wealth. Certainly Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they had many herds. They were pretty wealthy, but there were many people. They they struggled with barrenness. Abraham's wife struggled with barrenness. God must not have loved her. She must not have been, had enough faith. She just, you know what she needed to do? She needed positive confession. I'm going to have a
0: baby. I'm sorry that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as we continue our study in John's epistles.